In today's episode, we open our Bibles for a study into 1 Samuel, now chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. This passage exposes the corruption and wickedness of Eli's son, Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible describes them as worthless men, but they are also wretched priests. They use their position for personal gain, they sullied their father's reputation, and Eli fails to dissuade them from their wickedness. So God's judgment against them will not only affect their own fate, but the destiny of their entire family line. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Friday, April 28th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today, we're continuing our annual share where you have the opportunity to partner with us in ministry and become a friend of KFUO. Through your generous donations, KFUO is able to continue its nearly 99-year history of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ over the air. And now, with online streaming and podcasts and even an app, KFUO is truly able to live up to its calling, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. And today's special episode is not only being broadcast over the air in glorious mono-oral high fidelity, but you can also watch us on the KFUO Facebook page with live streams from my little satellite studio here in Laverne, Minnesota, and there from the KFUO studios down in St. Louis. Well, joining us this morning, a regular contributor to the show, it's the Reverend Stephen Tice. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Tice, good morning. Happy share Good morning. Happy share to you as well, and blessed Easter to Harris Dolfer Stonden. Well, it is, uh, it's great to hear you. You're down there in St. Louis, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I managed to get yeah. into the studio today. All right. Now I can see you, and for the first time because of our little live stream here. That's wonderful. And I see Dan the man at the board. That's great. Yes, yes. Excellent. Hi, Dan. Morning. Well, good. Well, you know, our mission is still the same, even though we have a little bit of extra publicity today. Uh, we're going to be going through God's Word, and we have just begun the book of 1 Samuel. Yesterday, we went through chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 11, because it just really fit well. It was Hannah's prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get into Eli's worthless sons and what comes of that. But before we do, I think it's a good idea that we begin our time together in prayer. And I'd like for you to lead us in that prayer. Certainly. Let's talk to our Lord together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, you have given to us a promise. The promise is that you will never turn us away. We come to you through our Savior, Jesus, whose death and resurrection gives us a promised place with you in the world to come, but also the assurance that you do not abandon us in this world. As we look at the story of Eli's sons and his service to you, we realize that human beings being sinful will often fall short of what you call us to. But your son, our great high priest, as the book of Hebrews reminds us, didn't fall short He gave himself completely. And in so doing, he gives to us not merely an example, but also the strength and power to walk in your ways. As we look at the word today, bless us with the awareness of your constant presence and the blessing that we have in a permanent priest. We ask your blessing on all those who suffer around the world from confusion, from attack, from false teaching, and from persecution. And we ask your blessing on the word that we share and on the work of KFUO as together we bring Christ into the world through the spoken word of God that others might know life in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, so now before we get into verses 12 and following, would you like to catch us up for those who might have missed the program yesterday? Uh, Would you like to tell us where we've been so far? We haven't gone very far, but tell us what's gone on so far in 1 Samuel. Well, what we have here is an account of a family within the people of Israel, and keeping in mind that this is a a man from the hill country of Ephraim, and he is is part of an Ephrathite. And, And this is also a term that's used then for the region around Bethlehem later. But in this concept, what we see is a, a man who has a family, and for some reason that we don't fully understand or always acknowledge, God did not 
condemn or direct them to have more than one wife, but this man did. We know Jacob did as well. And the problem comes down to the human tension between two competing persons, and the one wife has no children, and the other one actually mocks her for it. They come to the the tabernacle, the house of God, for the yearly feasts as God had commanded. So we see here a practice of worship following God's instruction. And there she prays. She asks God to grant her a son. And at first, the priest Eli thinks this woman has been celebrating too much, if you will. And he thinks that perhaps she's weeping in the tent because she's inebriated, whatever. And and the response is, no, I desire a son. And, and he says, okay, the Lord heard your cry. He will grant your petition. She goes home, conceives this little boy. He's born. And then she has promised to give him to service in God's house. If the Lord grants her the boy, he does. Then she sings this song of joyful celebration. And then they return home. And incidentally, later, she has more kids. But uh, at this point in time, we've, we've got the little boy who has been given to Elkanah and his wife and as as Hannah is celebrating in prayer, we see that God is setting the groundwork for what's going to happen with this little boy who comes to Shiloh to the tabernacle. So we're getting groundwork for the environment in which Samuel will be raised. Well, not only do we get groundwork for that, but I just have to illustrate, as I did yesterday, because it stood out to me so much, and that is Hannah's song sounds so much, has many things, same themes as the Magnificat, mm-hmm. but it also ends with Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So with Yahweh giving strength to his king, it's an interesting turn of phrase when, well, there is no king, king except Yahweh. Right. Um, I would say it's a foreshadowing of Ultimately, of course, the King of Kings, our Messiah and Lord Jesus, especially with the word anointed here. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's a little bit of a foreshadowing of the king that would come, perhaps not Saul, but David. Yeah, and I think it, it's important to recognize that the story of David begins with Samuel, who is the anointer of kings in the book of Second Samuel, we see David being anointed and coming into his, his throne. But in First Samuel, it's Saul. And it's God announcing that he will choose the king for the people. They will not choose the king. And throughout then the history of the family of David, that's really the tension. The people want this particular man to be king or this particular man, Absalom, tries to overthrow his father or all the, the succession struggles that take place in the family of David. But because he is the Lord's anointed, he is then chosen and succeeds. But that points ahead, ultimately, as you say, to our Savior Jesus, whom God anoints with the Holy Spirit and with power. And uh, we get we get to the end here of, of this little section. There's a comment, I think, worth addressing uh, about how this section of 1 Samuel ties into the New Testament account of the childhood of Jesus. Well, I look forward to that. But for now, let's head back into uh, the the situation going on around Samuel. He's a young boy. He's ministering or learning or growing up underneath the tutelage of Eli. But Eli has a couple of sons, and we're going to hear about them now. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17 of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know Yahweh. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Well, this is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of Yahweh, for the men treated the offering of Yahweh with contempt. Wow, so what a... 
What a depiction, right? We we it describes them as worthless men, but as I said at the top of the show, they're really kind of wretched priests too. Yes, absolutely. Using their position, uh, how is though them wanting to eat meat with the fat on it, misusing their position? How is that a contempt uh, of the Lord's sacrament? I'm sorry, the Lord's offering. Well, basically, what what you're looking at here is uh, two men who are serving as priests, and they're doing it all according to their own choice. It's sort of like the Book of Judges. Uh, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. These two guys have pretty much said, we're in a position that allows us to do things, and we will now change the rules to suit us. The The idea that before you cook the meat, you let the priest pick the choice cuts. The idea there is that the sacrifice was to be the fat portions. And if you've ever looked at a properly marbled cut of beef, one of the things you know is you do want some fat in there. But God said, burn that best or choicest piece as the offering. And then after you've given to God first, given to God the best, then you take the rest that's there. And the family of the priests and the Levites, they would be fed through the offerings. That was part of God's design. But these guys weren't willing to say, we'll do it God's way. They specifically were saying, we will pick what we want before you offer it. So it's not give God the best and we'll take from what remains. We're taking the best and giving God the leftovers. So the priests are literally corrupting the sacrificial process, but they're also doing it to serve themselves. And I think when you and I consider that idea and, you know, think about the, the writings of Ezekiel and the concern that we see in the 8th century B.C. prophets with Amos and Hosea and the corruption of the leadership and the total disarray of, of the way the priests were misleading and not serving the people. It's nothing new, if you will. Human beings corrupt God's design. And this mor- this uh, Sunday's morning Bible study we've been going through uh, down at Emmanuel in New Wells is, is the book of Hebrews. And in that particular book, you're looking at how the old covenant compares to the new and how the, the old priesthood was replaced by a different one. And we see in this reference... As somebody pointed out, if you don't know the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews is confusing as can be. But when you see the the corruption that's creeping in already earlier, before the kingdoms existed, uh, when it was the judges, you see that the corruption continues to go all the way to the time of Jesus. And uh, we'll get into the, the removal of those guys. The other thing that struck me as you think about it, the custom of the priests of the people was that when a man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork and stick it in and then pull it out instead of waiting till it was done. Now, to a certain extent, this is potluck. Whatever he sticks in, you get if you can't see into the pot. But the idea is the servant was selecting before the process was through. And so what we're looking at here is The priests are saying, we'll do it our own way. And I think the key phrase is actually in verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men, corrupt men, Belial. You know, you can translate that Hebrew word the way you want. But the next phrase is key. They did not know Yahweh. They had no personal relationship with the God they served. They were in the office, but they had no connection to the one whose service they were in. And that's the real indicator as to why they were acting the way they were. I think that's important for us, that that it's about the relationship we have with God. Uh, We talk about this idea that worship is faith expressed in activity, as opposed to worship makes us faithful people to God. No, it's faith that carries out worship. Well, these guys were going through ritual processes, but there was no faith. And so they were both worthless and corrupt. I think there are so many things that we could pull from this and connect it to our modern day times, both from the idea that you just said about worship being the, you know, we have to have that proper object of faith. And if we don't, then it doesn't really matter what our style or, mm-hmm. or means of worship is. On the other hand, I, I think about servants of God, or in this case, priests who do not know Yahweh, as you illustrated. Um, it's kind of a horrifying thought, but if you think about it, that might be more common in our t- day and age than we really realize. 
you know, it wouldn't be too long ago that you would see a, a priest or a pastor, and you would assume that's a godly person. Mm-hmm. And yet in these last days, it just seems that so many people are operating in the name of God, but their actions, the way, not only the way they worship, but, but who, what they worship, what they emphasize, what they preach, teach, and confess— really reveals that perhaps they don't know God. Yeah, and it it does kind of go back to what I mentioned earlier about the beginning of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What we have is a cultural conditioned practice that says we will set aside what was given to us and we will find a way to connect to our idea of how this ought to go. And being culturally relevant is necessary in order to hear how people are struggling in life and to be giving pastoral care and attention to where people are in their daily lives. But you don't adjust the content of what God says to match the, the content of the culture for its own gratification or satisfaction. And conversely, the problem with these two men was they did it to serve themselves, didn't care about anybody else. So you got you got... I'll call it the ditch on either side of the road. Either you ignore completely what God says and do whatever you want for yourself, or you find whatever the culture wants and you scratch the itching ears, to use Paul's phrase. And what you and I are called to, what the church is called to, is walk in the Lord's way. And to do that, as you pointed out, we have to actually know the Lord. Uh, You know, the, the passage from John where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, stick to me, stay in my word, then you'll bear fruit. And if you're apart from me, no matter what you're doing, it's, it's going to be nothing. And, and we see the, the problem with Phineas and Hophni is they were going through the motions, but they were doing nothing. But notice that God didn't remove the worship practice for the people of Israel. They still came even though the priests were corrupt. They were faithful. The priests weren't. So God, God retained his connection to the people through the rituals he instituted, even those serving in the ritual positions weren't connected in the right way. So uh, Luther talked about that, of course, in the time of the Reformation, when the, the validity of the sacrament wasn't based on the spiritual uh, strength or purity of the, the officiant. It was God's promise. And we see that still here in this particular case. The sacrifices were still acceptable to God— from the people, but the priests themselves were not serving God or the people. Mm. Well, I tell you what, we're going to pause for just a moment. We'll think about that, but right now we're going to take a little break to hear from our friends down there with you in the studio. But we're going to hear more about Sheriff. Become a day sponsor during our share today. Call 314-821-0850 or toll-free 1-800-730-2727. Welcome to share 2023. This is the opportunity that you have to partner with KFUO to take the great news of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks for joining me as well. It is a good day to be on share 2023 in-studio. Pastor Stephen Tice here hanging out with us today. I want to share with you uh, a little bit about the levels of giving that uh, that you can give. Now, if you are uh, a regular listener of KFU, or maybe you're a new listener, but you really see the value in what you hear on KFUO, hearing God's Word, uh, hearing what Christ has done for you, especially as we study God's Word with great pastors like Pastor Boo and Pastor Tice. And uh, today, if you give at the level of $1,500, that's $125 a month, you'll receive a special custom KFUO 
jacket, a fleece jacket, and they come in different colors, different sizes. Um, the men's jackets, you have a choice of black, pewter, navy, or royal colors, um, or the women's jacket, uh, black, pewter, navy, or royal as well, or teal, um, which the, the women get, you know, the bright colors. I don't know why the guys don't, um, but uh, the, they're really nice. And if, if you want to see what these custom jackets look like, visit kfuo.org and click on the share banner at the top of the page. You can see all the fun things we'd like to give you to share with KFUO. I mean, to share with you for supporting KFUO. In addition to the uh, the KFUO jacket, um, you also get all the things from the other levels as well, such as the handy-dandy KFUO socks. Dan, do you have your KFUO socks on today? They, Not. I, I wore them yesterday so that my coworkers <laughs> wouldn't want me to wear them today. <laughs> so KFUO socks, um, as well as the KFUO Day sponsorship, the KFUO t-shirt, and the KFUO stylus pin. We'd love to, to say thank you with all of those gifts for your generous support of KFUO. To do that, what number do we call, Dan? There's actually two numbers, 1-800-730-2727. That's 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. Be a partner with KFUO. You can also text to give by texting the number 41444 and typing KFUO as the message. You'll get a response right back on your mobile device, and that'll walk you through the steps. It's super easy to do, very convenient to do from your mobile device to text to give to KFUO during share 2023. On this Friday, April 28th, 2023, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsor, Joyce Gabar of Arnold, Missouri. Joyce made a gift to KFUO Radio in praise and thanksgiving to God for the blessing of Reverend Warren Worth, who has been shepherding the flock of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri for 32 years. Thank you, Joyce Gabar, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsor. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Stephen Tice, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. By the way, I'm actually wearing one of those fleece jackets that Andy was talking about. So if you want to check that out, it's right there on the screen. Um, certainly a worthwhile uh, gift for contributing to KFUO. Now, Pastor Tice, back to the matter at hand. We mm -hmm. are studying 1 Samuel chapter 2. And before we took our little break, we were just getting into the wretchedness, the hypocrisy of the sons of Eli, who were supposed to be being brought up to be priests of the Lord, and yet the Scriptures tell us they didn't even know Yahweh. I mean, I'm sure they knew of Yahweh, Certainly. but they didn't know Him yeah. in the way that someone who serves and represents Him should know Him. They didn't have faith. Yeah, they, they had this, this uh, role, role they filled— but didn't have the the relationship that is to be there in it. And Jesus talks about this when he talks about the, the difference between a shepherd who cares for sheep and a hireling who doesn't care for or about the sheep. And they almost are in that category of hireling here, even though their father, Eli, is a priest. Uh, they treated the, the offering of Yahweh with contempt. They didn't see the ritual as anything other than a ritual Therefore, they saw no benefit in carrying it out properly. And we have that danger, too, if people go through the motions of worship without realizing. And it's one of the things I struggle with myself. When, it, when I'm leading worship and it's time for the Lord's Prayer, I have to focus on praying the Lord's Prayer rather than leading the liturgy as I pray. Those are two different things. And, you know, every once in a while i got to poke myself and say, wait a minute, time to pray, not time to lead liturgy. And that's, that's a struggle even for me, when I bluntly would say I'm, I'm committed to the work of the Lord, and I do know who the Lord is, and I know I'm a sinner, and I repent of that, but, boy, it's, it's, it's a challenge if, if you're not focusing on worship while you're doing these things. Yeah, that, is, that can be very troublesome. You know, a lot of people ask us, well, when do you worship, with the sort of understanding that it's difficult for us to worship when we're leading worship. And, of course, we worship in the midst of leading worship, but you're right. There's always that temptation, that danger to make it just rote, not only on the presider's side where we are, 
but also on the uh, the side of the people. You know, you can make that rote on that end mm-hmm. too, which I suppose is a is a danger with the liturgy. There's a danger even outside the liturgical sure. worship. But of course, the blessing of the liturgy is that it is the words of God. So when treated not contemptuously but properly, um, you can't go wrong. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, in contrast to these two worthless fellows, we are now given a little insight into what Samuel's doing. I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. Samuel was ministering before Yahweh, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May Yahweh give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So when they would return to their home, indeed, the Yahweh visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of Yahweh. So Sam is a little boy, but she's making he's, he has a linen ephod, and she makes him these little robes and brings them mm-hmm. to him. But in contrast to these grown men who should know better, it, we're told that Samuel is serving before the Lord. Is is that intentional? Is there a significance between Eli's behavior and the worthless priest's behavior? Oh yeah, there's there's intentional reference here, and the other thing is that from infancy he was dedicated to the Lord and I'm sure as a little baby his mother's telling him God has gifted us with you you're a response from God to our heartfelt request and this parental involvement and you see here a contrast that's reflected a little bit later in the love that Hannah has for her son and how it's carried out and the love Eli has for his sons and it's contrasted actually in this text very graphically that Eli's love for his sons was such that he couldn't properly treat them even though they were in his presence, Hannah continues to love her son even in his absence with the yearly visit. And I think the the idea is she's also making new clothes for him because he's growing and every year he needs something bigger. And, you know, she's making sure it happens rather than trusting someone else. She gave him back to the Lord, but she never gave him up as her child needing love and care. That's, I think, significant, that she has not abandoned him. She has released him into service. And I think for us, we see that Eli blessed the man and his wife whenever they came and give more children. Well, you know, Eli's carrying out his role in blessing the people. That's great. So we see that he wasn't totally useless as priest. He does do things correctly. But his great downfall is how he treats his own sons. And the need to be aware that as a pastor, as a priest in the house of God, you still have responsibility in your own family. You can't abandon one for the other. They're both there. It's part of our vocation as a Christian to serve all the time in all of our roles as people building this connection to God. And my wife and I had this responsibility with our four sons to raise them and train them in the house and family of God, but not just to carry them along as part of the outward view of the family of the pastor, but to actually worship and grow together. So we used to do this little game called 20 questions when we drive down the road, you know, and we do biblical 20 questions. So you teach, you teach content of the Bible while riding in the car. Uh, before I got here, I was listening to Sarah and Andy talking about how to redeem the time in the radio uh, program. They were talking about how to share the Word of God while traveling in the car rather than just, you know, dinking around on the phone. Uh, I misquoted Sarah there. She didn't say dink around, but that's okay. Uh, but in the process, what what they said was we redeemed the time in the car. Well, my wife and I did that same thing with our boys. And that's the kind of thing that Hannah comes once a year to see her son, and she redeems the time by giving him clothing and saying, I care about you, I know you're here, you haven't been forgotten. I love also how, when you're talking about her redeeming the time, I I think of also her visiting him, Mm -hmm. and that connected to the actual word visit in verse 21, where indeed Yahweh visited 
Hannah. And in that context, of course, it Mm -hmm. means to bless, right? He's coming to her, providing her blessings of more children. Mm -hmm. So when she gives up her first son in sense, or maybe we should say lent, since that's the word she used, when she lends her son to the Lord— she does so in faith, as our as our previous guest had illustrated, because she is assured that she's going to have more children. He does give her more children, mm-hmm. but she visits him, provides for him, and then this little section ends with the Lord, or Yahweh, visiting her and providing for her. And then the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord, uh, a phrase that's used of Moses' experience in mm-hmm. Exodus 24. So... We see a connection here to God really working in the in the hearts and the minds of all these people to raise up for Himself a prophet, a great prophet. And this this is, I think is a, a key thing to remember that it is Yahweh at work among His people, generating these things. We we read the story historically afterward, and so we we can kind of sit back from a. Using a, the concept of a, an omniscient novelist, we know what the story is we know where it's going we know what happens next they didn't and in our own lives we have god's promises we have god's word we don't know what's happening next but god does and so we come to our lord with requests that he would also visit his mercy upon us Uh, at the beginning of our program i prayed for the persecuted christians around the world knowing that the lord will visit them in their need even though i may not know when and how I'm confident he'll do it. And so we have this trust that the God who did not hold back his own son but offered him freely up for us all will give us all things in his time and at the right moment for the right purpose. Amen, brother. Well, it's time for another break. So, uh, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Tyson and I will keep on going through First Samuel 2. See you on the other side. of Worldwide KFUO. Please prayerfully consider supporting our ministry during share Call 314-821-0850 or toll-free 1-800-730-2727. Welcome to share 2023, the chance of where you can become a partner with KFUO to take the ministry around the world. It's time to open our mailbag to hear what our listeners are talking. This one is from Hayes of State College in Pennsylvania. KFUO Radio has been my link to Law and Gospel and to Concord Matters shows of the LCMS while visiting Palm Springs, California. Thank you. Praying you all have a successful year. Another one is from Lexine from St. Louis, Missouri. My mother has been a KFUO donor and faithful listener for many years. She recently moved into a skilled nursing home, but she continues to listen to your worship services and sacred music every day. Thank you. Thanks, Hayes and Lexine, for your message to the support of KFUO Radio. Andy, do you have anything to add? Well, thanks, Dan, for sharing from uh, the listeners who've written in to let us know how they appreciate KFUO, how it's been a part of their lives from generation to generation, as uh, Lexine was sharing about her mom and how that was how KFUO is an important part of her life. Uh, Whatever chapter of life she's in, she's still hearing KFUO. If you appreciate KFUO and the programs that we get to share with you here on KFUO, like Lexine and Hayes, you can support KFUO today as well. And your support is vital to continue broadcasting the good news of Jesus on the air on AM850 or 105.3 FM here in St. Louis, or on streaming on KFUO.org, on smart speakers like Alexa devices, things like that. If you appreciate these, uh, the gift to hear God's Word throughout your day on KFUO, give us a call. What's the number to call, Dan? 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. And Andy, I, I understand that there's still some matching funds available. So what that means is for every dollar that you donate 
the, those will be matched. So doubling your donation. So please call again, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. share 2023. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Stephen Tice, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. All right, brother, we've been hearing and talking about how, well, the, the sons of Eli aren't so great, but mm-hmm. Samuel, well, he's being raised right by Eli the priest, but more importantly, by the Lord, and his mom is still involved. She comes yearly. The faithfulness of Hannah and Elkanah are evident. Uh, we see them coming up. And so uh, no mention, at least in this passage, of the other wife, but they're continuing to provide for uh, young Samuel here. Anything else before we move on to what happens next? Well, just uh, the understanding that Samuel is actually serving at the tabernacle. Um, The presence of God is represented to the people by the Ark of the Covenant. And later, when we get into the whole issue of, of the Ark being taken captive, we realize that God allows things to happen to the Israelites to move them to repentance, which is exactly what, again, the book of Amos highlights this. Um, Dr. Golden, the f- seminary faculty, was sharing these thoughts uh, with some pastors uh, recently that if you look at Amos, the call of Amos is always, if you return to the Lord and repent, these things won't be held against you, but when you don't let the suffering I bring on you turn you back to me, then you're in big trouble. And we look at the the people of Israel needing to hear God's call to repent. We hear that call, too. We need to hear it. And the passage from Scripture that always comes to my mind is the Old Testament reference. The Hebrew word turn is used for repentance. Turn me and I shall be turned. God has to get my attention, then God has to turn me around. How is God going to get the attention of Eli and his family? We're going to find that out later here in this text. Well, now we move on to verse 22 through 26. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing that all his sons, pardon me, he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons. It is no good report that I hear the people of Yahweh spreading about. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against Yahweh, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of Yahweh to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and in favor with Yahweh and also with man. So, Pastor, we have here another comparison, um, Samuel's mm-hmm. uh, reputation being briefly summed up as continuing to grow up, and people liked him, and Yahweh continued to bless him. He's with the Lord. He knew the Lord. But with Eli's sons, it seems that and this is why I'm a little bit sympathetic to Eli. He He's giving them the right speech, so to speak, mm-hmm. he's pointing them to not sinning against God. Right. Uh, I guess what troubles me and stands out, I'm sure you know, is that it says that they wouldn't repent because or for Yahweh had already decided to put them to death. Uh, help us understand that a little better. I think part of what's going on here is the the public activity of these two sons had corrupted the whole image of the priesthood. Therefore, God could not merely allow it to be they were dismissed from service. God is going to bring this upon the people of Israel as a whole people. The realization that the representation before him by the priests is actually also held as the way the people present themselves to God. If you take a look at the the worship practices of the Canaanites and the, the whole history of how they've conquered the land. The issue of false worship 
is never tolerated. God always takes those engaged in the false worship and actually kills them. He says, I must remove the false worship by killing the worshipers lest they corrupt. And I think part of what's going on here is this need to purge, if you will, the image that these two priests have presented so that no one will walk by and say, oh, there's that priest that they got rid of because he was acting this way. It's God took them and removed them from among us. And I think that's probably the the whole impact of this is the Lord will bring death upon those who refuse to repent because Eli told them this is wrong and there was no repentance. Therefore, the Lord brought the judgment. If they had repented, then simply dismissing them and bluntly, if they'd have sat in sackcloth and ashes publicly, it would have been a great thing. But that wasn't happening, so the Lord purges by removing them. And, you know, this is... We, we tend to forget this, that our God is a consuming fire. He is not a temporarily disgruntled human being who can be placated and, and pacified with outward activity. He actually demands justice, which is why the Son of God is offered for us. And, and we see that here with the sons of Eli. There's going to be a cleansing, and the Lord will do it. Well, in verse, uh, let's hear, 25, where it says, for it was the will of Yahweh to put them to death. The Hebrew actually is a little bit more, I guess, confusing for our modern ears. The Hebrew would say Yahweh was pleased to put them to death. But I think the idea is, although the Lord certainly does not delight in um, the uh, the death of the wicked, he takes no pleasure in the death of those who sin, mm-hmm. he certainly delights in bringing justice and order yeah. And that is an aspect of God's character that I hear you saying that we often disregard, I think, and too much. Yeah, this, and this is, this is why it was necessary for the Son to die. And Jesus himself said this. This had to happen for righteousness to be fulfilled. Sin must be covered. And the soul that sins shall surely die is applied here in this very real sense to the sons of Eli— but then it's transferred to Jesus who covers the sin of the whole world for any and all who repent. Anyone who comes to me, Jesus says, I'll never cast that one away. But those who do not come, unless you repent, you think that those killed when the tower in Siloam fell because they were worse sinners? No, but unless you repent, Jesus himself comes back to that, that thought. The, the holiness of God, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the war- Wardrobe, Aslan the Lion. He is not tame. He's never been a tame lion, but he's a good lion, and he's safe for us as long as we stand in the right relationship with him. The lion roars, you know, back to Amos again. Well, earlier I'd said I was a little sympathetic to Eli because he's saying the right things. Mm-hmm. But an argument could be made that while he is saying the right things to them, he does have the authority uh, as the high priest to remove his sons, to re-legitimize the worship. Right. He, he can absolutely discipline them, both as their father, but also as the priest. And so there is an idea here that even though he's kind of saying the right things, He's not doing the right things. He's not taking action against his sons. Um, and I, I would also want some clarification for the folks at home. How might we describe the, these women who were serving at the entrance of the tent? I yeah. think it's pretty clear uh, how his sons were interacting with him, but but who are they? Well, we, we don't have an exact definition of this, except that they seem to be copying the pattern of, of the Canaanites around them in the ritual enactment of the reproductive process was intended to bring prosperity, crops, reproduction in the livestock. Uh, I'll use the word economic blessing because you're playing on the sympathy of whichever divine being you're playing around with, so to speak. And this pattern also says that the corruption was beyond just the two boys. There's, there's greater corruption here. The people of Israel are now turning away from what God called them to and actually falling right into the practice of the Canaanites, which, if you read carefully in, in the, the books of Moses, it doesn't say if you follow the way of the Canaanites. It says when you do it. It's, it's not a uh, 
contrary to fact conditional clause. It's one of those, this is going to happen, and when it does, I'm going to bring the boom down on you. And so we see these women who are to be serving and helping bluntly, like when women come to worship, they need some assistance. The redemption of a firstborn child or purification of a woman after childbirth, that, that involves uh, some assistance from a woman in the worship process. That was to be done by these women, I would imagine. The Canaanite, you think about the Levites. The Levites served in the house of God, but they didn't all serve as, I'm going to use the term worship assistants. They brought the the uh, the wood for the fire. They carried away the ashes. Well, the other involvement would have been any time they're involving women in the worship ritual for cleansing and purification. There's a need to have these around as well. So we have a a broader image of worship actually presented by the abuse that's going on here. But it also says it wasn't just limited to the the two priests. There was a corruption in the life of the people of God that needed to be dealt with. Absolutely. There's also an abuse of power there, too, I'm sure we could mm-hmm. get into. But I tell you what, we're going to pause for just a moment, head back down there to you in the studios in St. Louis to hear more about share 2023. Our phone lines are open. Please call and support the worldwide ministry of KFUO now at 314-821-0850 or toll free 1-800-730-2727. Welcome to share 2023, where you could partner with KFUO to take the ministry of our Lord around the world. I see Mary Schmidt just walked into the room. I think she has some thank yous. For... Mary, take it away. <laughs> I do have thank yous. We've, uh, we are really close to breaking that 90,000 marker. We're at $89,061. Thank you, Andy. And uh, we actually have surpassed five plateaus. So we have quite a few uh, drawings to give out, and we have a lot of thank yous to give. So I'm going to... Dan, get that bell ready. I think there are some day sponsors in here. <laughs> I'd like to thank Doug and Vicki Nicely of Muscuta, Illinois. They made a gift just now, actually. <laughs> and thank you to Randy and Cindy Miller, uh, sorry, Mueller of Perryville, Missouri. They are doing a day sponsorship for October 23rd. Thank you, Randy and Cindy. Thank you to Jim and Lupe uh, Ledford of Gustine, California. They are doing a day sponsorship for October 12th in honor of their wedding anniversary. So congratulations to Jim and Lupe. Thank you to Larry Etchler of, uh-oh, Andy, I need your help. Ocean? Oh, Ossian, Indiana. I don't know how I have this job of announcing things on the air. <laughs> thank you, Larry, for your support. We also want to thank Luella Luce of Freebird, Illinois, who also gave a gift to KFO and Reverend Timothy and Kristen Apple, who are doing a day sponsorship for June 5th in honor of their wedding anniversary. And thank you to Charlotte Morrow of Despair, Missouri, for her gift. She's doing a day sponsor for January 4th of 2024 in loving memory of her mother, Dorothy Bacher. Wow. Thanks so much for all the folks who have called in to make a gift and to support KFUO. And some of those folks who called in today, uh, their names will be drawn here and they get to receive some lovely prizes, some thank yous as well from, uh, I see several from Concordia Publishing House. We do. We have uh, five items to give out. Again, all thanks to CPH. All our, right. Ten our... questions to ask every time you read the Bible by Andrew Jones is a new book. Uh, excellent. Who wins 10 questions? This is uh, John Bander of Linwood, Washington. He gave a gift online and he was our winner. Congratulations, John. You won 10 questions to ask every time you read your Bible from Andrew Jones and Concordia Publishing House. Our next one is Know the Bible Now, a visual overview. Um, the Bible is incredibly, uh, both incredibly simple and wonderfully complex. And this, this is an interesting book that has a lot of visuals. Uh, it, this is pretty neat. Pastor Tice, <laughs> check it out, man. Oh, yeah. Lots of pictures, maps, 
This is really nice. Know the Bible, a visual overview. It is very visual. Yes. Who's the winner of that? And that is Rachel Courtney. She also was a giver online. We really appreciate your support. Rachel, congratulations. You get Know the Bible Now, a visual overview from our friends at Concordia Publishing House. Yep. Those maps are really useful for understanding what's going on when you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very visual, as it says. All right. What do we have next? Our next Ooh. item is a beautiful Lutheran service book. It's uh, it's a faux leather. It, I, no, I'm sorry. It's not faux leather. It's real leather. Uh, with a it's the personal leaf. gift edition. Yeah, it was this is a fancy nice. one. This is a fancy hymnal. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And this is going to Nancy Joist of St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, congratulations, Nancy. Now you can use that when you follow along with chapel at home, or you can bring it with you. Bring your own bi- or your own hymnal. Do you remember those days, Pastor, when people, yeah. families had their own hymnal and sure. just bring them with them? Yep. All right. Luther's Rose this Necklace. This is a sterling necklace. It's 18 inches long. It's made from sterling silver, and it has the Luther seal on the front, and it has engraved on the back, I am a Lutheran. Oh. Uh, it's really cute. It's, kind of, it's a little small, but it's mm-hmm. nice and dainty small. And the winner is Barbara Logan of Freeburg, Illinois. Congratulations, Barbara. We're sending that, and that's from our friends at Concordia Publishing House as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, CPH, yes. for all the wonderful gifts to share with our listeners who are supportive of KFUO. Yes, thank you so much. Oh, cool. And our last one is Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation, the visual edition from 2017. This is really neat. It's like super visual, like lots of cool infographics. <laughs> you can see it on Facebook Live if you're following on Facebook Live right now. Pictures yeah, this is are really good. Cool. Pictures are very <laughs> helpful. And who wins Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation, the visual edition from Concordia Publishing House? This is going to Erwin Vittel of Miami, Florida. Well, congratulations, Erwin. You get a new small catechism, a very visual small catechism. Have you tried this one out yet, Pastor? No, I have not. That's no. pretty neat. It is really neat. Well, thank you to everyone who called in and made a gift today and supported KFUO. You too can participate. And the numbers, Dan? 1 800 730 2727 or 314-821-0850. Andy, how else can they reach out to you? You can us? text to give by texting the number 41444. Type in KFUO as the message, and you'll get a response right back and do it right there on your mobile phone to make a gift. It's super easy to do. Sherathon 2023. Martin Luther tended to view the world through the three estates, the family, the church, and the state. The family provides the fundamental unit of society, and the church God makes Christians, and in the state he governs for the good of his people, his church. Well, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ affects our life in all three of these estates, and that's the topic of the April issue of The Lutheran Witness. To learn more, visit cph.org witness or visit witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back once again to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boom. And with me as... Uh, has been after every break is the Reverend Stephen Tice, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Well, Pastor Tice, we have the impossible ahead of us. We have the rest of the chapter to go before the end of the program. I'm going to skip all the pleasantries, get right to reading verses 27 through 36. Here we go. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, Yahweh declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, The days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then, in distress, 
you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this, that, shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. All right, thus endeth our chapter. Brother, what's the what's going on here? What's the takeaway? What's what's coming? Well, we have a very clear statement from God that he is not going to ignore the way in which these two men who are priests have been abusing the position and belittling the name of God before the people. I mean, if you think about the fact that you came to worship and you were abused by the priest, misusing their power and authority, taking the best of the offering, not giving it to God, these men had to be removed, and the God of Israel will do it. He sends a messenger to Eli saying, you have failed in the role I gave you. I shall step in and act. But the other thing is, I am going to change the priesthood from the family that you are in to a different family in the house of Aaron down the road. And he goes all the way back to, in fact, I made a promise to Aaron that you have negated. I have not. You negated it because you chose not to do what you were told to do. And I won't remove priesthood from among the people, but I'll remove the priesthood from you and your family. And so we see a God who carries out his own desire for justice, but doesn't abandon his children, his people. And we see that in particular when we hear the statement that there will be a priest that will be faithful and do according to the Lord's will, and I'll build him a sure house. He shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Well, that's a reference to Jesus. This is the, again, the book of Hebrews comes to this high priest that doesn't die concept, and that's, that's provided here. But short term, there's going to be Samuel and the other priests, and then we see during the time of David and Solomon, the final punishment God brings he is faithful to his people even when they are not faithful. This is great news for you and me and for all the people of God. We have a God who provides what we need according to his desire and plan. In spite of human intervention or failure, God is faithful. What a message, too, right? God is faithful even when we are not. And people could read this text and could come away with thinking that God is not faithful with this idea of, well, he said that, we would remain in the house or the priest would remain in our family forever. Mm -hmm. And that forever is, is binding, certainly. But you have to, as we always say, read things in context, understand what God is saying. This isn't a permission, for instance, for you to just do as you please. And we have that message too, right? right. I'm with you always mm -hmm. until the end of the age. But you can run away from me. You can hide from me. You can quit following after my will. And don't expect me to hang around. So it's sort of a, a both and, and I think that's yeah. tough for people. It is. I, I grew up in, in uh, you know, around people who had this sort of once saved, always saved ideal, which pits this, well, I can behave any way I want, and mm -hmm. God will just have to forgive me. And that's a misuse of the Lord's grace. It is. The, the, the great news is God is always calling to us, and as long as we don't push the Holy Spirit away from us and say the Spirit isn't at work and won't work, the Lord can work. And so we continually do our job of bringing the people God's Word, and that's what this program is about. That's what KFU always here for, and during Sherathon, we want to highlight that this allows us to bring that life-giving Word to people who may not otherwise get it. That is great. I'm happy to be a part of, well, a fairly new part of KFUO, my very first Sherathon. It was great to have you as my guest thank for you, sir. this Sherathon day, brother. Uh, I'd like to officially thank him, the Reverend Stephen Tice, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri, regular guest on the program. Brother, I look forward to having you back on soon. Thank you, sir. Folks, we're going to be back on Monday with a few less breaks, so we might get a little farther than we did today. It's going to be <laughs> Chapter 3. Samuel, still a young boy, hears God calling him in the night. But at first, he thinks it's the voice of the high priest Eli. 
but it soon becomes evident that Yahweh himself is speaking. Find out what happens next week and when we come back. And so until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.